When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues, Mr. Ainsworth. How are you doing on this fine Sunday afternoon, sir? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, had many heart attacks yesterday during the Texas-Texas uh, Tech football game, but I survived. <laughs> Texas survived and we're okay. How are you doing? I am well. Also had many uh, heart attacks during the Kentucky-Auburn game, which will come up a little bit later in this particular segment. My high school football team, we are 3-0. and We uh, had another blowout win on Friday. We'll see what happens this Friday. You've got a little tougher, a little stiffer competition coming in. So hopefully the boys will be ready. We'll do our best to prepare them. How about we jump into our gold stars and detentions? Because I think we got a lot of gold stars that we need to hand out this week. <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, do you want to go ahead and hit us with your first one? Yeah, it's always good to have a good week where we have a lot of gold stars. So what I'm going to gold star first is Major League Baseball for a $10 million. It looks like it may be an annual $10 million donation towards diverse and equity equitable uh, causes for Major League Baseball. For a sport that I think catches a lot of flack for having 
a not so diverse set of American born players or American born participants. I think that that's a step in the right direction, at least as far as we're seeing things go in 2020. And so I wanted to say gold star for them for starting something. I think that a lot more remains to be seen about if they finish something, but I think a gold star for starting something is a good place to start. <laughs> I love the lot to be seen in terms of how they finish, right? My gold star, first one, is going to go to the UFC, specifically to two champions. We have a new champion in the UFC's 205-pound division. If you are not a UFC fan, you may still know who John Jones is. The reality is the 205-pound king has been John Jones. Well, John Jones has vacated his belt. He's leaving the division. He's going to fight a heavyweight. So they had a fight yesterday. See who's going to be the new champ. He had Dominic Reyes, who many people felt like beat John Jones in his last fight, and Jan Blahovich, who I don't think a lot of people were giving a chance, but in a fight, Punchers always have a chance, and Jan Blachowicz has been hitting home runs off of people's face his last several fights, and uh, let's just say he connected last night in the second round. So Jan Blachowicz <laughs> is now your 205-pound UFC champ. The other championship fight, which was at the top of the card, was for the 185-pound belt, where you have Paulo Costa, when comic book artists draw superheroes. That's what he looks like. He's got that <laughs> level of muscle. And in his last few fights, he's just been walking down people and walking through them. And he and Israel Adesanya, who's the 185-pound champ, have been going back and forth. Israel Adesanya, when he fought Paulo Costa last night, made Paulo Costa look like he didn't know how to fight. And destroys him in the first round, finishes him in the second round. Incredible fighter. And what this means is that the UFC only has one American-born champion. Mr. Ainsworth, how about another gold star? Um, my next gold star goes to Hayden Hurst. If you remember, I think it was last Sunday. It might have been the Sunday before, though. We were heavily detentioning uh, Skip Bayless for going after Dak Prescott, opening up about his own mental health. Hayden Hurst, who I don't think in any of my research has a prior relationship with Dak Prescott. Hayden Hurst is a tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he played at South Carolina. He's not from Louisiana like Dak is, and Dak is They from might have Louisiana. played against each other in the SEC. Like, that's the only connection I can the even think of. The only thing would be if they were just so happened to both be on the field, but they're both offensive players, there would have been at different times. Anyway, Hurst ran over and thanked Dak for his openness. They both have foundations, but Hayden Hurst Foundation specifically in regards to mental health and suicide prevention and they you know quickly talked about like we need to get our things together it i don't know where that goes they're both busy playing a full season right now amidst all the things going on in the world but shout out to hayden hurst for like seeing Dak's vulnerability and like saying hey we can do this together to say that the atlanta falcons should not have lost that game is like the understatement of this podcast <laughs> and we we will be talking in depth a little bit more about that later uh, my next gold star goes to james robinson and I know that there are many people who do not know who James Robinson is. James Robinson is the starting running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's so good at the position that the Jacksonville Jaguars traded Leonard Fournette to Tampa about a week before the season started because they were like, this dude is good enough. He's going to get the carries. And there were all kinds of rumors coming out of Jacksonville about who the starting running back was going to be. But this guy's name never came up. He's an undrafted rookie out of Illinois State. There's no reason for him to be on your radar except that he is leading my fantasy team. 33 points last week for me. So, James Robinson, I love you. I don't know how many games Jacksonville is going to win this year, but I love the undrafted free agent story, and I love that he is leading the Harlem Knights to a potential fantasy football championship. Um, Mr. Ainsworth, <laughs> uh, you have a final gold star for us? Yeah, my last gold star is going to Zach Harper, who is responding to some people on Twitter. So, the Lakers clinch 
a shot, a spot in the Western in the NBA Finals last night, right? And so everyone on Laker Nation because they feel like, oh man, everyone counted us out. We're the Lakers with two top five players and da da da. Because everyone was really counting the Lakers out clearly, right? Yeah, clearly, <laughs> um, that they felt the need to go to find a bunch of people that in the preseason or before the season started. A bunch of Lakers folks were going through finding people that didn't pick the Lakers to win at all. Because how could you ever pick the Lakers to not win at all? And saying, like, told you so, told you so, told you so. And Zach Harper finally got back at some of these people like, oh, man, imagine that. I had never seen this team play before and thought that they might only be in the top four in the Western Conference. Or, oh, man, my opinions changed after watching the games happen and see how they looked in the middle of the season. Oh, man. Like, it just opened a light on like this idea that, like, yes, NBA preseason predictions for entirely new teams like the Nets, Clippers, Lakers, even the Rockets to an extent with Russell Westbrook, like all these teams that you don't know a lot about because you have not seen the current collection of players play together. Of course, those things change. Look at what we talked about with the Oklahoma City Thunder in September of last year. And look at where they're talking about September of this year. Like, yes, we're talking about a very different team that we'd never seen play together. Like anyone who was watching the Lakers in December or January would have known this is a team that has a shot at the NBA Finals. No one was taking that away from them. Then it's just no one had seen them play before and wanted to make sure that we could see LeBron not fall apart like his body did the year before. We could see Anthony Davis get past the second round like we'd never seen him play before. Like those are all things people wanted to see first. Like the, those are totally logical connections. It is stunning to me what you just said, in that we were literally watching the NBA this time last year, and we're still watching the NBA this time this year. Like, it's literally gone in the entire <laughs> the year. same season. My first detention is going to go to a man whose name I can't find on the internet. And maybe it's a woman. It's a person whose name I can't find on the internet. But I don't know who the doctor is that punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung. But whoever that person is needs to be in detention for the rest of their lives. So <laughs> if you guys have not heard this story, Tyrod Taylor, he was ready to start the game last week. He has a rib issue. So they call in the team doctor to inject a painkiller into his ribs so that he can go play. The doctor apparently went too deep with the needle and actually punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung. So moments before the game, Anthony Lynn, the head coach of the Chargers, goes to Justin Herbert, who's the rookie quarterback who they drafted very highly out of Oregon, and says, uh, Justin, you're starting. Justin Herbert thought he was joking. Justin Herbert was like, yeah, good one, coach. And Anthony Lynn was like, no, I actually had to convince him that he was starting because that's how quickly before the game this all went down. If you are a doctor and you've gone to school for 1,700 years and you puncture someone's lung, we should know your name. Like, they, <laughs> they will tell you the name of kids who do bad stuff. I want to know this guy's name because I, I can't go to him to have him draw my blood or anything like Please let me know who this doctor is. <laughs> well, and like the other thing about that decision too is that they at least need to make sure the other NFL teams know this person's name because he's gonna he's gonna try and find whoever this doctor is. They're gonna try and find another job. It's interesting. So the Chargers are like, you know, everyone's handling this well. No one's mad at him. Tyrod Taylor's not angry. This is what Anthony Lynn is saying. And if I'm Tyrod Taylor, if that doctor ever is anywhere near this facility again i'm gonna lose my mind well and but. so here's here's the other thing too about tyrod taylor is uh, we're assuming he's healthy today and gonna survive like it's not like a nothing bigger than that right assuming that's the case herbert came in and played pretty well so the next time taylor throws like two interceptions and a half 
everyone's going to be looking at, like, why don't we put the other kid? Because they've all seen it at this point, right? Like, Herbert didn't come in and poop the bed. He came in and played very well. And so it's like, that could very seriously alter the rest of Tyrod Taylor, his career, whatever's left of it. Like, just because he didn't get the start because of a doctor's very serious mistake. Tyrod Taylor may have been Wally pipped by a doctor's needle. So that's, that's crazy. crazy. Um, you want to go ahead and hit us with your detention, Mr. Ainsworth? I like the use of Wally Pipped, too. Um, so my <laughs> detention goes to neither Wally nor Pip, but it does go to a person. So I hesitate even using names here because I don't need folks going and clicking on articles and giving this any more credence than it has. But my detention goes to Jason Whitlock, Clay Travis, and the entire OutKick, whatever you want to call it, organization of these folks that just like make a career on digging at other folks like they say that there are no bias in whatever they're doing in sports and it's just sports just sports just sports we're two history teachers we can tell you there hasn't been a thing, such thing as just sports since before babe ruth was playing baseball and obviously like, all these guys are biased like everyone's biased that's okay yes. too like come on it's not anyway and so the idea of taking political or social issues out of sports when they've been involved in sports for over 100 years is just silly but Jason Whitlock decided it was, you know, because we're going to talk about just sports, he decided he needed to talk about Katie Nolan, who, like, runs a comedy show through ESPN that's kind of tangentially about sports, right? And so he made some some article and wrote some article that basically bashed Katie Nolan saying, and I'm not saying you should go read the article, so please don't. The summary is that she has a job because she's pretty and that's all. That's her only talent is being pretty for ESPN, which is blasphemy because, well, she, Katie Nolan's a very pretty person too, I guess. The real truth is that she's hilariously funny and has a very intentional shtick in her weekly podcast and weekly te- television show late at night. I guess maybe the comedy is above Whitlock and Clay Travis because they're so sports all the time, but the comedy is hilarious, and it's really, really funny stuff. You know, we, I think we both talked about when we were talking about recommending other podcasts we listen to, Shaka, that Sports Question Mark is a funny podcast we both enjoy. It's one of my um, favorite. I listen to it every week. Whitlock going out of his way to try and like be like, well, she's just pretty is ridiculous because while she is pretty, she is very talented. And it also, as Katie tried to allude to in response to him, says the point he's making is clear. You have to be pretty to make it in sports as a woman and be talented, which is the difference between like that's the sexist part of this, you know, this this uh, line of work, right? Is you have to be pretty and good at what you do. Whereas a guy like Whitlock just gets to spout off bad takes about sports and get picked up by Outkick. And so I don't I don't know what the I mean, Jason what Whitlock is the uh, embodiment of the fact that you do not have to be a handsome man in order to be in sports. So or good at it. I don't. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know what he's trying to get at here and. Then, of course, because of all the mentions that come with things about aesthetics and women in sports, uh, Katie ends up locking her Twitter for a few days because, like, people that are already follow her can obviously continue, but made it private in the sense that she can't get new followers to come in and comment on things. The de- and then Clay Travis decided it's his, his place to, like, go in on and, and talk about how that was somehow a weakness when Clay Travis can't deal with anyone talking back to him. Like, he did a whole back and forth on Friday and Saturday with Mark Cuban because he can't understand the fact that Mark Cuban might have something critical to say about him. So how is he going to respond to anything like what Katie gets? Uh, It's interesting. Katie Nolan, I listen to her podcast weekly. So she said, you know, she didn't lock her uh, Twitter because of the vitriol. What she said was, you know what? I'm locking my Twitter because if you already follow me, then we're already cool. Like we, you're, you're already in on the conversation and we can just keep talking. 
But people who now want to jump in and bring something to a conversation that I'm not really interested in having with a Jason Whitlock or with those types of people, you don't get to be a part of the conversation anymore. I'm detentioning Auburn fans, Auburn football, anyone related to Auburn who is upset <laughs> at the officials for taking away a 100-yard pick six return that happened yesterday during the University of Kentucky Auburn football game. And you can go find the highlight. And I imagine there are a lot of people who have some takes about whether or not it truly was a uh, illegal block on the pick. That's not even the issue. If you are watching Kentucky Auburn, the score is 8-7 Auburn. Kentucky has the ball on the two-yard line, first and goal. They hand the ball to their running back. I believe it was Chris Rodriguez. And Chris Rodriguez hits the line and drives into the end zone to put Kentucky up in this game. And somehow, the official blew the play dead and said that Chris Rodriguez's momentum had been stopped. Therefore, the play is dead where the initial contact happened. In all my years of watching football, I've never seen that play whistle dead. So if you have not seen this, please go watch that play, and you explain to me why that's not a touchdown. Now, two plays later... Terry Wilson, the quarterback for UK, throws that pick six, and people want to talk about it. I am up to here with officials. And you guys can't see me because this is an audio medium, but just know that I'm going above my head <laughs> with my hand right now. You won the game anyway, so like I don't even want to hear you complain. You won a game. The officials directly impacted the game. Kentucky would have went into halftime up 13-7 and instead went into halftime down 8-7 because of the officials. Actually, they would have been up 13-8. Or 14-8 if they had punched in the extra. Anyway, I'm so angry I can't even remember the score. Um, let's go ahead and move on to more happy topics, like our podcast. What thesis statements are we going to talk about this week? <laughs> We're going to talk about the group of five and their chances of making the college football playoff this year. We're going to talk about the worst division in professional football, the NFC East. We're also going to talk about the University of Kentucky, but we're going to talk about it from an NBA perspective. Because Kentucky obviously produces the best NBA talent, right? We'll have that conversation as well. Without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Cummings. So, the first thesis statement of this week takes us to college football, coming off a day of some exciting college football games. The thesis statement reads, 2020 is the best chance a group of five team will ever have to make the playoff. How do you grade that one? As my blood slowly starts to come back down to a simmer versus a boil, uh, talking about that Auburn game for UK yesterday. <laughs> um, I think that I'm going to be pretty high on this. The The word ever is the part that I struggle with. I think it might be the best chance to date, but I can't predict what's going to happen in the future. Right. And so I think I'm going to go B just because of that word. What do you say? I was thinking like a high B, B plus somewhere in there as well because – of the word ever and then also in looking at where teams are sitting you know there may have anyway we'll do our, the pod, pod in a second but i think that i would give it a high b or b plus all right mr cummings you gave it a b um so i want to know what what made you think it's a b thesis the word ever is why it's a b thesis and it's the part that no one can predict. We can't predict the future. We can't even predict the future of the season, frankly, right? So we don't know. We're hopeful that things continue on in terms of the level of progress that we've had with teams playing games. And we've had some games that have been canceled. 
I don't think Baylor's played a football game yet this season. University right? of Houston, University of Houston has had four games postponed or canceled. So we know that we can't predict what's going to happen even with the future of this season. That being said, when we start to look at this season, and if we're just taking this season on face and making a huge leap that they'll be able to play games and play college football uh, playoff games, it's still a tough thesis because of the word ever. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the future with group of five teams, whether or not the group of five even exists into the future. Now, if we just look objectively at the teams from this season, there are a lot of quality teams that are not in the power five. The unpredictable nature of this season almost lends itself to those teams potentially being able to hop into that top four. The AP poll coming into this week. So we know that there's going to be some movement. But if you look at the AP poll coming into this week, you have Central Florida who is at 13. Central Florida already beat Georgia Tech, a Georgia Tech team that blew out Florida State the week prior to playing Central Florida, then got blown out by Central Florida. We have Cincinnati, who took out another group of five team yesterday that was ranked in the top 25 by handling Army. Uh, They won that game by two touchdowns. You got Memphis, and Memphis has been as strong as anyone over the last few years in terms of their program. They've been one of these group of five teams that have consistently been in the argument for a big bowl game. And it's one of these teams that the power five, they don't want to play Memphis because that's a team that can beat you and you don't get a lot of positive in beating them because people assume you're supposed to beat Memphis until Memphis shows up and scores 50 on you. The team that's most interesting to me is the team that's ranked at 18 coming into this week, which is Brigham Young. Because Brigham Young beat Navy easy. And then Navy went out the next week and won. So if you think Navy's just a bad team, Navy might not be that bad. Brigham Young just might be that good. And oh, by the way, Brigham Young had another blowout last night that I know no one saw because the game started at 10-15 Eastern time. So unless you are a Mormon, <laughs> you probably didn't even watch the game. They beat Troy like 48-7 to or something like that. And oh, by the way, if you look at the top 25, Troy got a vote to be in the top 25. Brigham Young destroyed them. So Brigham Young's not just beating people, they're destroying people. And so something like that may stand out in the minds of voters as well. So when you look at how strong the group of five teams are, it's abundantly possible that one of them can make the playoffs this year. Now that word ever is a tough piece. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, I'm curious, what are your initial thoughts? You went B plus, you went a little higher than I did. So I think there's a couple things we need to make sure we're factoring in here that would have to all break the right way for whatever year a group of five team were to make it into the top four for the college football playoff as it's currently designed, right? So that's one part about the word ever that I don't know that I sit with well is because obviously if they expanded it to eight teams in 2030, well, then it's going to be way more likely in every year after that because there's twice as many spots, right? Or, or whatever the odds are. Um, and so, or wherever they expanded it to, I guess, obviously the odds would be twice as much in one, four to eight, but I don't teach math, but I know that much. The <laughs> the thing I look at in this is what does it take for a group of five team to show out right now in the current structure? It's like you're saying with BYU, they got to score a lot of points and do it in like dominating fashion. You can't just kind of barely get by, but go undefeated in a group of five schedule. You got to really, really show out when it's time to show out. You also, frankly, need to catch some breaks with the power five teams 
ahead of you, right? So you need to have Oklahoma losing Kansas State like we saw yesterday. You need to have someone like Georgia falling at some point or LSU falling to Mississippi State yesterday is going to help you out, right? Or, or whatever those things are. And you kind of need some Power 5 conference to kind of poop the bed. This is a year that each of those things can happen, right? Setting aside the group of five schedules for a second, we're talking about Power 5 teams that are not looking like they're quite ready to play real football games yet and thus taking losses like Oklahoma, LSU. Um, my, my Texas Longhorns came in at 8th yesterday, or tied for 8th, and they almost dropped one to Tech. Probably should have dropped one to Texas Tech, right? If Oklahoma and Texas both take losses, that probably takes out the Big 12. You might be able to argue a Baylor or a TCU, but that, that probably takes out the Big 12. The Pac-12, they're starting in November. Are they going to be eligible for this playoff, really, right? Just how many games are they going to get fit in to show out and show off? The Big 10 we talked about last week is eligible, and we both think that they should have a shot at this. However, like Ohio State makes it probably assuming they're going defeated, but that schedule is not going to be easy either. And in none of those things have we talked about a Power 5 contender running into COVID issues. And we've seen in football that those will pop up indiscriminately when you're not expecting them and cancel games. That's going to hurt their case. Whereas if you can be the UCF, the BYU, the SMU that won all your games in a convincing fashion... That could elevate you into the top four ahead of a team that didn't have that type of a schedule. The other thing I'll say is, too, like we have talked about each year of this. It feels like whether it's UCF, SMU made a run. I think it was last year, I believe, that ended in a loss to Memphis. But they were like kind of like, ooh, are they going to push their way in? We've talked about this being potentially something that happens each year, it feels like, throughout the first part of the season. And so it's just I think we're assuming that whatever of these teams makes it, does get in because they kind of write the whole book this year, right? They get all the way through their season unscathed. I, I want to sit here and ask you which one do you think is the most likely, but there's only been two games, and i got to be honest, with watching two games for so many teams, I haven't seen some of these teams play. Uh, I'm lucky in that I've seen them, at least the ones that I think are most likely, which I have a list pulled up here. Here's the deal with the college football playoffs is sometimes we forget this. I know that you're not forgetting this, Parker, but sometimes people forget. The college football playoffs is just some folks in a room, <laughs> and it's an eye test thing. Just, it's just yeah. some folks in a room looking and saying, we think these four are the best. And I do think that there's going to be a mental block that's going to be very difficult to overcome. But what I will say in what we're talking about with the Big 12 and Oklahoma and Texas and those things and the group of people you said that are voting on this, back to the thesis, if we go back for a second, is – if UCF reels off a bunch of four and five touchdown victories this season, they're also in the top 15 currently, right? They're currently yeah, sitting, absolutely. right? And so I guess today's poll has not come out, but they, going into yesterday's games, were sitting at 13 as I look at it in the AP, right? And so if they were sitting at 13 and then they, they continue to reel off double-digit, you know, four and five touchdown wins... I don't understand why they wouldn't have a shot at the top four outside of this year not being a traditional year. Some of those traditional, like you're more likely to have two losses teams, some two loss teams in the SEC at the top of it, right? Because they have a weird schedule and they may have to forfeit this. They may not have a couple of key players there. They may, right? Those kind of things can happen. All the stuff we're talking about Texas having to like carry the Big 12 there, right? If Texas doesn't do that and Oklahoma doesn't do that, I, I don't know that the Big 12 gets there either. That's another Power Five conference for lack of a better phrase, that's out of the way. It almost feels like the Big 12 is out of the way. 
it almost feels like the Pac-12, because they're not starting until November, they're out of the way. And that's not to even say, like, I don't know if the Pac-12 would have been good enough anyway. The Pac-12 has not been for a couple of years now. They haven't been put in. I mean. So, I mean, unless Washington or Oregon just showed out or USC or something like that. So now here in my mind, there are five teams as of right this moment, Sunday, September 27th. And their shots vary. <laughs> uh, I'll start with Louisiana. Louisiana has a shot. The Raging Cages got a shot. And why? Because they beat Iowa State. Iowa State came into this season ranked in the top 20. Louisiana played them in the first game and handled them. I think people are going to remember that. Louisiana also, even though no one thinks of the Sun Belt as this tough conference, they're going to play teams like Appalachian State that people respect. They're going to play teams like UAB that are getting top 25 votes. Arkansas State's getting top 25 votes. So they could be a team that if they're undefeated and winning games at a good clip, people can look at them. Now, the piece that is tough is that after they beat Iowa State, they needed overtime to beat Georgia State, and they barely won the game against Georgia Southern yesterday. So I don't know how people are going to look at those, but I mean, I think that they're in it. BYU. BYU is a group of five team that's definitively in it. They have an eight-game schedule. They might have... Of the teams that we're talking about, BYU might have the weakest eight-game schedule, which is and and a strong offense. Well, listen, BYU is. Inc- I think that they're a solid team, and I think that if this was a normal year, they could potentially be in that mix of teams that we would talk about. But the reality is, they had to craft together a schedule because they're not in a conference, and the schedule that they were able to craft together has them playing Navy, Troy, Louisiana Tech. Uh, UT San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, and Northern Alabama. And I think people are going to look at that schedule and say, that's not a very strong schedule. Even though UTSA, they got a vote in the top 25 this week. Um, Even though Houston traditionally has been a decent football team, Western Kentucky has traditionally been a decent football team. Navy is a strong team. BYU blew them out, and people are like, well, Navy's going to have a bad year this year. The Navy went on and won their next game. Well, and... My deal, I guess, with that was some of the BYU's offense, though, is if they beat all of those teams by the 40 points they ought to, it's like, well, that's the same thing as if, you know, if Florida had gone through and beaten those teams by the 40 points they ought to, right? Like, doing what you ought to do with those teams is, I guess, all I was trying to say with the BYU offense. No, absolutely. BYU's going to have to blow people out to get in. And that's based on their schedule as much as anything else. Now, UCF is the highest-ranked group of five team, and – they have a win over Georgia Tech where they really handle Georgia Tech. And again, I think I've said this on a pod multiple times. Georgia Tech played Florida State the week before they played UCF and beat Florida State in Tallahassee, I believe, then came and played UCF and got blown out. And UCF also blew out East Carolina yesterday, 51-28. And UCF has a stronger schedule in that they get Memphis, they get Cincinnati. So yeah. those teams that are also group of five teams that people are going to consider solid – they have to play each other. And oh, by the way, the next couple of teams I'm going to talk about are Memphis and Cincinnati because all those three teams play each other. And so if there's one team that emerges from that, that might be the group of five team that then has a legitimate shot, um, especially considering the Cincinnati took out Army yesterday. Army was a, one of these teams that was ranked as a group of five team as well. So we'll, it's yet to be seen what teams like Houston and SMU that are also in those schedules are going to be able to do. 
But that's only going to bode well for UCF, Cincinnati, and Memphis because those teams all play each other. And so whoever emerges from that probably is going to have a shot. Do you think there's any credence in the idea that because this is the this is voted on by a handful of people, I say handful, by a dozen or whatever people it is, that even if UCF reels off four touchdown wins over Cincinnati and Memphis, goes undefeated, that they still face the uphill battle of, yeah, but there's this one-loss SEC team. They definitely will face that uphill battle. But what I will say is in the scenario that you provided, it's going to be very difficult to leave UCF out if they are – that team, if they're if UCF, so just so that everyone kind of understands, uh, UCF played Georgia Tech, beat them by 28. That's four touchdowns. They played uh, East Carolina and beat East Carolina by four touchdowns as well. They got Tulsa. They got Memphis. They have Tulane. They have Houston. They have Temple. They have Cincinnati. They end with South Florida. If they just win all these games by four touchdowns, which is very difficult to do, especially the Memphis and the Cincinnati game, they're going to look like one of the strongest teams in the country, not just one of the strongest group of five teams. In order right. to do that, they're going to look really strong. And I would imagine that the playoff folks would have a very difficult time leaving them out, um, even with a one-loss power five team that they'd be considering. So the more the more realistic option, I guess, and the one that's probably what we will be debating is if UCF is our example team. So if UCF has a bunch of twenty eight plus point wins, except for Cincinnati and Memphis are close, but they do win those, right? They didn't blow out those teams, but they did win those games. And you have Georgia goes undefeated, except for they lose to Alabama in the SEC title game, right? Um, and then you have like an undefeated Alabama, a one loss Georgia, a Clemson, and insert another, I don't know, power five team. Well, it could be Ohio State. It could be Michigan. I mean, the, the Oh, same that's actually examples, that's actually more fun is right? if Ohio State has only played six or eight games or whatever, has you know, has only played a handful of games, and so they're sitting there as well. Like what's the uphill battle there becomes Becomes me, the brand names, right? Right. And it's do you take the one loss Georgia? versus the the group of five team which is feels reminiscent of several years ago with UCF as well right yeah absolutely and the piece that we have to consider in this thesis is the COVID piece but I'm not talking about playing games I'm talking about revenue so the money's coming <laughs> from television yeah yeah there's not going to be fans in the stands in a lot of these games so we just want the most interesting television game because people will watch it and there is something to be said when it's Clemson versus Ohio State versus Clemson versus UCF, right? And so that's going to be a part of it that whether it's consciously discussed or subconsciously you have this bias and you're going to bring that to the table, that's something that we have to consider as well. I do think that there's going to be a group of teams that have one loss in the Power Five that people are going to want to talk about. I think that you can also have undefeated teams that emerge. The SEC champion is going to be in the college football playoff, in my opinion, barring something crazy. Now, keep in mind, LSU did lose to Mississippi State last week, or I mean last night, I should say. So something crazy could happen, right? But an undefeated SEC champ is probably going. Even a one-loss SEC champ is probably going. I would say that the one-loss SEC champ probably just means they're not. there's not another one or two loss SEC team, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I would still The champ would still go. Yeah, let me just say the worst thing that could happen for a group of five team is Alabama, Georgia, 
where Alabama is undefeated, Georgia has a loss, and Georgia wins that game because they're probably going to take them both then. Both, yeah. Right? Um, Clemson, again, undefeated ACC champ is going to go. I do think that a one-loss ACC champ probably isn't. So, and, and it doesn't matter who that ACC champ is because North Carolina would have to beat Clemson to be the ACC champ. Notre Dame would have to beat Clemson to be the ACC champ. So if it's an undefeated team, they're probably going to go. I do think a one-loss ACC champ is different just because the ACC is not deemed as the strongest conference. An undefeated Big Ten champ is going. The question is, would a one-loss Big Ten champ go? That Because of the number of games, I mean, there's so many pieces. These group of five teams aren't bad. And that's really where I want folks to kind of I want folks to watch these teams because when you watch UCF, when you watch BYU, when you watch Memphis, when you watch Cincinnati, these are good teams. These are teams. Cincinnati and Ohio State on a neutral field is a game. That's a good game. And what I don't want folks to get stuck with is the brand names and thinking, oh, these teams are going to get blown out. I don't, it's going to be very difficult to blow out BYU. I don't care who you are. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, our next thesis statement is one that is close to both of our hearts. <laughs> the thesis statement reads, The NFC East is the worst division in football. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How do you grade that thesis statement? I think that's an A+. Plus. And not a lot of conversation. Okay, so uh, <laughs> clearly an A+. Plus. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not going to argue you. I think we're going to go A+, plus as well. Okay, so normally, Mr. Ainsworth, we'll do these football things, and one of us on one side and one of us on the other, and then we start yelling at each other, and it is ratings bonanza. So it doesn't seem like we're going to be yelling at each other a ton, because we both agree the NFC East sucks, correct? <laughs> correct. So I think the biggest thing with this thesis before we get into breaking down exactly how bad it is, is that in every single division, right, there seems to be some team that I'm like, oh, but that team, like, if things broke right, could really make some noise, right? Obviously, we've done the best divisions a couple times. We talked about the NFC West and all the firepower in the NFC West. We've talked about the South and the Saints and Buccaneers. You know, the North has this guy named Aaron Rodgers. So if you ask Stephen A. Smith, is a bad, bad man. Uh, in the AFC, you go from East, you have the Patriots with, with Cam Newton and Bill Belichick, 
The Bills, who you seem higher on than me, but I think we both would agree is probably a playoff team. You've got the Chiefs in the West. In the North, you've got at least the Ravens, maybe the Ravens and Steelers. In the South, I'd say you have the Texans and the Titans, even though the Texans are sitting here at 0-2 and making me a sad person. So when you get to the (laughs) NFC, does the entire division really rest on the Dallas Cowboys? And if so, is that really the set of shoulders you want to rest on? I, I just I don't look at the division and think there's any right spot. I mean, the Cowboys ought to win the division, but they probably should have a year ago as well. They're just It's a bad division. It's just a bad division. When you start looking at divisions, one of the things I like to do is look at the quarterbacks in the division, right? Because the quarterbacks tend to dictate how things are going to go. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of which of these quarterbacks I feel really confident in that I could put into the category of some of the best quarterbacks in the other divisions. I don't know that there's a division that has more questionable quarterback play. And I like Dak Prescott. I like Carson Wentz. And there's a reality that says both of those guys are still very young in their careers. Carson Wentz got a bunch of money for a Super Bowl that was won by Nick Foles. And I think that people are definitely questioning his leadership and his ability to elevate Philadelphia back to where they were during that Super Bowl year. Uh, whether or not I think Dak is good is irrelevant because apparently Jerry Jones doesn't think he's good enough to give him a long-term deal, <laughs> right? You look so, at the Washington football team, that's a rookie, right? Basically, it's a young guy in Dwayne Haskins who hasn't played a ton. And then the Giants are the Giants. And I mean, Danny Dimes is a cool nickname and all Danny that. Dimes. <laughs> I, so here's my thing on the Eagles, I will say, though, is Carson Wentz has been a different guy since he hurt his knee that day in was it 2017 they won it all and the other thing about that season they won it all too is that the unfortunate thing is it's going to change his entire career as far as we look back at it because they definitely would have still won it all had he been playing it's not like Nick Foles came in and did better statistically than Wentz was doing Wentz was, on Wentz track was an MVP. MVP yeah he right. was an MVP that and year. so we're looking back at it as like oh that was a great team that Wentz just so happened to be playing for but that was not the narrative or the way it was being looked at or the way we broke down the Eagles while he was playing. And it's really unfortunate that he has not been able to get back to the level of play since. And, frankly, for him, that the Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl without him is a bad thing for him. Um, I like Dak Prescott, too. I just, they don't win enough games. And I don't know if that initially, you know, my thought about that as an individual person stat. I don't think that necessarily just falls on him. But they don't win games, and so whether or not it's the offense seems to be... I mean, he put, a, put up a lot of offense numbers in the second half last week, but they also had a bunch of fumbles, and so I don't, I don't know what to take away from that. They also know? came back, though. I mean, listen, I'm not saying that, you know, Dak was the reason. All I'm saying is that when you get the kind of game manager quarterback who can keep you in the game, Dak doesn't lose you a bunch of games either. He keeps you in them, and right. then it's up to everyone to elevate at the... Uh, well, and, the cutting time, you know what I and mean? And they have they have paid everyone else as if they're ready to play at cutting as time. As if and everyone so. <laughs> has elevated at that time. And the reality yeah. is, I don't know that everyone has. I mean, I would say that Zeke, yeah, you got to pay Zeke. Because you need to keep that runner, especially the way that the offense was trending. I don't know about the rest of them. Like, Amari Cooper got his money out. Whatever. I mean, I guess you gave up the draft picks for him, so you got to pay him almost. You got to pay that offensive line. As many of them as possible, you need to pay them. Well, and I worry in analyzing the Cowboys, is the deal just going to end up being that their offensive line was great in 2014, 15, 16, and the skill players, you know, if you want to call them great in 2019, 2021, 
and they just the windows didn't overlap. The Venn diagram is just two circles, and because they didn't overlap, they're just never going to be very good. We can sit here and talk about the Cowboys as the team that wins the division and ought to win the division. But the truth is, the reason that they win the division is almost by default, right? The rest of this division is awful. They could win this division at 7-9. and nine. Easily. I, I don't think anyone can win this division at 6-10, and 10, but let me say this. If there's ever a division that was going to be won at 6-10, and 10, I'm looking at these teams and I'm saying, okay, I don't... These teams are going to struggle. Really, where their wins are going to come from, whoever emerges in this division is going to beat the other teams in the division, right? So you end up getting six divisional games. If you can go 5-1 and one in those or 6-0 and oh in those, then okay, you're going to feel pretty good. And now, obviously, Dallas already has a non-division win on top of that, so they could be at 7-9 and nine and win this division, and it's all good um, because they're in the dance. God, these teams are awful. I, this is the part of the podcast where I'm going to go on the Dave Gettleman rant, so just bear with me. The Giants are pathetic, and the Giants were a team. Like, historically, the Giants are not a pathetic franchise. They have these moments where they don't perform as well, but historically, they are not a bad franchise. Historically, they're one of the best franchises in the NFL, one of the best-run franchises in the NFL. And they had a GM who was doing a great job, who was bringing in players, and... The reality is they hung on to Eli Manning too long in the minds of some people. And so that's why they needed to go get Dave Gettleman because the GM wasn't necessarily saying we need to get rid of Eli, the the coaches. I mean, so if you want to basically look at the previous regime and ding them for that, also remember that they drafted Eli Manning, who won you two Super Bowls. So I understand wanting to hang on to that. Dave Gettleman well, has traded, done nothing. Traded at the draft for him, right? Because he refused to play for San Diego. Whatever you want to say. Listen, Eli's got two rings in New York. <laughs> it was draft day. Oh, no, was I, draft get, day. I get all those San Diego fans are still pissed about it. So, like, whatever is whatever. It was draft <laughs> day. So, I get the – I just – clarification. Clarification. That's fine. Eli is awesome. He's He can never pay for dinner in New York ever again. Um, and that's the gist. Because Dave Gettleman has never done anything his whole career. The – Carolina team that went to the Super Bowl where he's the GM, them, those aren't his players. As a matter of fact, he was such a good GM, I guess, at Carolina that he got fired and they replaced him with the guy who was the GM before him. Think about that for a second because they know who actually put that thing together. So Gettleman has now come to the Giants and he's got some sort of a reputation based on not really doing anything tangible. Any player that was in Carolina that played for him that – tried to negotiate contracts with him, hates him. And Carolina basically deteriorated under his watch. Now he's in charge of the Giants, and the Giants are doing the same thing. The Giants aren't – there's no plan with the Giants. You don't look at this uh, roster and say, oh, I kind of get what they're doing. It's You drafted Saquon Barkley. Why isn't the plan then make sure you get a whole bunch of offensive linemen around him to ensure that we can run the ball and then draft a whole bunch of defensive players and say we're going to run the ball, control clock, play enough defense that you can't beat us. Because Gettleman is not drafting the kind of defensive players that are guys who are making an impact. And even the offensive line guys who he's bringing in, he's not getting the best of the crop. He's taking the guys who he feels like are the best, but like there's other guys in terms of the draft rankings that people like better than the ones who he's taking. And then you went and so, you got a quarterback and – I, if it would feel like if you are on the path that it, you seem to want to be on, where we're going to work from the interior, then why did you need to take a quarterback as high as you did? I don't understand. There's no plan. So, 
I think it's worth pointing out too, though, and I, I didn't just bring up the Eli thing just willy nilly. When Eli Manning was getting drafted, he said, "I will never play for the." He and the Mannings, as a family, said, "I will never play for the Chargers, but I'd love to play for that organization." Right, like that was a pinpointed choice of an organization. Eli Manning in 2020, really since about 2017, 2016, does not make that choice. Right, like that is not if if the same family produced same kid and whatever has the same sway and is drafted in 2016, 17, 18, 19. They don't say, give me there, right? They probably they might say, get me out of San Diego still, but they're not saying, get me there. <laughs> well, and they I wouldn't have that, to get out of San Diego because the Chargers are in L.A., but I know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, forever San Diego. But, the, but the, the deal is is that that is the historic dissonance, I think, from Giants fans who have watched a lot of Giants football versus Giants fans who have watched the last half decade of Giants football, right? It's, it's, there's no direction. There's no sense. There's no continuity. There's no any, no one seems to be on the same level. Um, The Washington football team did just score on the Browns, and they are one of two teams with a win. They're the only team with a win in division, and one of two teams that has won a one in the division. The funny thing is I'm watching, I have the Washington football team Browns game going in the background. The stat across the bottom that's just sitting there is that Washington has allowed 30 or more points in four of the last five regular season games. <laughs> and so as I read that, I'm like, ooh, that's not a great stat. No, Ron Rivera, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that right. can't be good. I get that the Browns may also not be very good this year. Um, that's just a very Cleveland thing. I, I also want to point out one cool thing about this game, though, is it's the first game where there's a female coaching member on both staffs. There's a coaching intern in Washington, Jennifer King, and coaching uh, chief of staff in Cleveland, uh, Kelly Brownson. And then uh, Sarah Thomas is a female referee. So it's the first time that both sidelines and the officiating crew each have a woman on staff. And so that's a, a cool part about this game as it's happening. The division, I think, as we look at it, we sit here on top of the Giants, sit here on top of the Cowboys. But there are lots of teams that have a Cowboys that underperforms or a Giants that is forever in the cellar dwelling. The issue to me is that the Eagles and Washington, because I keep wanting to say a mascot, the Eagles and the Washington football team not only don't have a name, but also don't have a lot of hopes either, right? Like, there's not a team with hopes in this division, as opposed to, like, yes, every division has the bottom. Like, the North has the Lions, and they have the Packers. But there's the idea that maybe Kirk Cousins can take the Vikings on a run. You know, maybe the Bears' defense can make that big run they had a couple years ago in the double dink dork, whatever you call that field goal, Right. The NFC South, you have the Panthers and you have whoever wins the division out of the Saints and Buccaneers, but you also have the one who comes in second out of that battle, right? There's not a whole lot of that hope in this division. All right, Mr. Cummings. So this thesis is a time where you're just going to talk in a monologue and everyone else will just listen. The thesis and learn. Reads, and learn. <laughs> the thesis reads, Kentucky inarguably produces the best NBA talents. Yeah, you know, normally when there are things that are A and things that are F, I normally settle at a C. So I'm thinking that with this thesis, I'm going to go A++++++. Of course that's an A. I was just fooling you guys. I'm not going C. This is an obvious A+. Mr. Ainsworth, you agree with me, right? I'm an A+. The thing I think is interesting is this is probably the only time anything says inarguable in a thesis we do. This will be one of the few times, certainly, that something says inarguable, and I'm still going to give it an A. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cummings, so I don't know that anyone bought your head fake, but you did give this an A++++++. <laughs> and, you know, we were t- sitting around off-pod talking about the NBA playoffs, talking about what was going on, and... 
honestly, we continue to con- t- keep talking about different Kentucky Wildcats. So, give us your take. What made this an A plus? Absolutely, and I know that Parker is going to hit us with a lot of statistics. So I'm going to let him hit you guys with those. I'm just going to hit you with the conversation that we had about the playoffs, which is Parker and I were sitting back and we were thinking, you know, could we do a thesis statement about the players during this NBA playoff that have kind of elevated their stature within the league and really guys who maybe we weren't thinking of as being stars that now we kind of think of based on their playoff performances stars. So while a Jimmy Butler would definitively have elevated, he's not quite what we were thinking about, right? We were thinking Bam Adebayo, Jamal Murray, and Tyler Hero. And then we're just like, yeah, those are all Kentucky guys, right? And when you start looking at not only the sheer raw number of Kentucky players that are in the NBA, you also start looking at how good the players who come out of Kentucky are once they get to the NBA. This is inarguable. Because let's look at the top 30, and let's look at what schools people are going to, right? Anthony Davis, I think that he's inarguably in the top 30. Devin (laughs) Booker, inarguably in the top 30. You want to say Carl Anthony Towns isn't in the top 30? That's fine. He's arguably in the top 30. Like, Bam Adebayo, like, we we can run this list, and we can start going through guys, and we can start looking at where these guys went to school. And the piece that's really interesting is that these other schools that are kind of at the top of this conversation, where are the North Carolina guys? How many of them are in the top 30? How many Duke guys are in the top 30? How many Kansas guys are in the top 30? So it's not just that Kentucky has the raw numbers. They also have the best quality. It's not just quantity. Quantity and quality. Kentucky gives you all of it. Welcome to the Bluegrass State. We know our thoroughbreds. We know our basketball. And the NBA consistently proves that we know our basketball. So, Mr. Ainsworth, you just let me know. I don't think I need to say any more than that. We probably could cut this segment short. But I'm going to let you talk on it as well. Uh, talk to us. Why is it that you also went A+. plus? So I guess my thought in giving it an A+, plus was just looking at, in combination, like you're saying, the current ha- has the current number of NBA players. Kentucky has the most. And then you look at the quality of NBA players. Like, while Zion Williamson may lift the Duke bubble, or lift the Duke group up at some point, he is just a rookie. Um, and then you look at other top guy, you know, players in the top ten: LeBron, no college; Luca, foreign; Harden, Arizona State; Giannis, foreign. Like a lot of unique situations. You don't have a lot of blue blood programs. The blue blood programs are the ones producing all of these key role players playing around everyone else, right? I, I pulled up an interesting thing looking at the top Kentucky players in the bubble, and I honestly think that this team wins it all now there will be a kentucky player almost certainly on the team that wins it all i I guess my my thought in looking at this though is that if you had okay if you went a starting five of jamal murray tyler hero bam Adebayo, anthony davis and devin booker you might be short in the backcourt but you're gonna score a lot of points right you could also run so you can play small ball and then off the bench you'd pull in rajon you'd pull in eric bledsoe you pull in shea you pull in Nerlens Noel, and you pull in Patrick Patterson, right? Like, all of a sudden, even your bench group is pretty strong, <laughs> right? Like, a lot of a lot of talent. And also, I also I realize that people might be thinking I'm making a prediction on the Heat game tonight. 
Enos Cantor, I count as a Kentucky guy. Even he if is he a Kentucky guy. Blue, right. Big Blue okay. Nation counts Enos Cantor. So because this I'm whole already... situation is ridiculous. That's a whole nother thing. We could do that right. thesis one day, but not today. But he he is a Kentucky guy that didn't end up getting to play. Um, and so I, I was counting him as you have Enos in Boston, you have Bam in Miami, and you've got Davis and Rondo. And I guess you got Bam and Hero in Miami, and you have Davis and Rondo in LA. So someone from Kentucky is winning the national, the NBA championship this year, um, and hopefully the national championship. I like that little Freudian slip of the tongue there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you know, I, I think that in looking at that, that makes this inarguable because I don't know of a college team that you could do more than a five deep with, much less a five deep. Right. Um, the other thing I'll say is when you look at. You know, Kentucky has 28 players on NBA rosters at the start of the 2019-20 season. Duke had 24. Big drop to Carolina at 14. UCLA at 13. Arizona, Kansas, Texas each had 11. That that gap between number one and the three-way tie for fifth is almost triple, right? That's a lot, a lot of dudes. Um, so they win that category. And then they're, you know, I think LeBron probably is the finals MVP if LA wins. I think Tatum's probably the finals MVP if Boston wins. It might be Kimba, but I would say think it has to be Tatum. And then Jimmy's probably it if Miami wins. So they may not have the finals MVP, but if you told me that Davis won it, if you told me that I don't think Cantor would win it. Well, Boston, Bam but, would though. But Bam. if you told me Bam won it for Miami, like I wouldn't be surprised, right? Like I, I guess they may not be the best player on their team. But if on a given series they had the best series, I wouldn't be surprised. One of the things that I think is so interesting as well, and know that we're pulling these statistics from NCAA.org. So we're actually right on the NCAA's website. Or actually, this is NCAA.com. If you go to NCAA.org, you can get stuff too. But from NCAA.com, not only does Kentucky have the most players in the NBA with 28 if you look at the conference breakdown as well, the ACC as a conference has the most NBA players at 85. The Pac-12 is second with 67. The SEC is third with 66. <laughs> Think about what that means. The SEC has 66 players in the NBA. 28 of them went to the same school. No one's got that ratio. Talk about getting ratioed. That's incredible. And, of course, Kentucky has the most players ever to play in the NBA as well, right? That's according to SI.com, where Kentucky had is the only school that has over 100 players that have played in the NBA in its school's history. The interesting thing looking at that would be, and this is backtracking on data that I have not prepared, Mr. Cummings, but the if you backtrack as to when Kentucky passed UCLA, it had to have happened while Calipari's there, right? But when in Calipari's time at Kentucky – did they overtake UCLA? Because UCLA is right behind them, right? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be under Calipari, and it's probably, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the UCLA players that have come in in Calipari's time. And, like, Russell Westbrook, Lonzo Ball, those are the guys who would have come in. Drew Holiday, um, Drew's brother, right? So those are the guys right. who would have come in during that time. And while UCLA might be putting in one guy every couple of years, Kentucky's putting two or three every year. Because in that time, the guys under Calipari, right? So I'm going to list as many of them as I can. But John Wall, Boogie Cousins, 
Anthony Davis, you got Kid Gilchrist, you got Carl uh, Anthony Towns, you've got Bam Adebayo, you got Shea Gilchrist Alexander, you got Nerlens Noel, you've got the guys who just recently came in with Tyler Hero and Keldon Johnson, right? And these are Devin Booker's in there, obviously from the undefeated team, uh, Willie Cauley Stein. I'm just reeling off names and I'm forgetting guys. If we look at Tyler Hero as the young, you know, Gen Z of the NBA right now, and the and he had a tr- tremendous game, right? He had 37 off the bench, and was that game five? No, game four. Game four, um, I believe. He's from Wisconsin, and did not did not not only did he not go to Big Ten school, he didn't go he didn't go to Wisconsin, right? Um, and his quote, which I'm trying to pull up right here, is he chooses Kentucky because of the way they put guys in the pros. He wanted to be a pro basketball player, and he sat there, looked at Wisconsin in his backyard, looked at the Big Ten and Izzo and Michigan and Ohio State even, and all these powerful Big Ten teams where he could have gotten to play games near home. He's like, no, that school puts dudes in the pros. Yeah, absolutely. Gen Z sees Kentucky, and it's like, if you want to go pro, that's where you go. And Gen Z is correct, by the way. Because if you want to go pro, (laughs) that's where you go. Friends, that is another edition of F in Sports. I love that Mr. Ainsworth mentioned that Tyler Hero didn't go to Wisconsin and chose Kentucky. I think I've mentioned this on this podcast. I have a buddy of mine that's a huge Wisconsin fan, and he hates the fact that Tyler Hero went to Kentucky because <laughs> he was committed to Wisconsin. And uh, the thing is, is that if Tyler Hero would have went to Wisconsin, he'd have been there for three years before he'd have gotten to go pro because that's how Wisconsin does things. Uh, Mr. Ainsworth, you want to go ahead and hit folks with your socials? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth 512 That's at Painsworth 512 P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. All one word on Twitter and Instagram. I also respond to the show's Twitter. That's F-N Sports number two. F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S number two. All one word on Twitter. Um, I will use dash P-A. Shaka will respond with dash C-C. So you have some sort of a grasp of who you're talking with, whether it's the pessimistic Texas fan or the all-in on basketball but all-out on Auburn Kentucky fan. Um, <laughs> Shaka, we also have an Instagram. Absolutely. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on my personal socials at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. That is Twitter. That is Insta. Just know that when Mr. Ainsworth responds on socials, he's more of a Wisconsin guy. You're going to get three, four tweets out of him. I'm more of a UK (laughs) guy, so I'm kind of one and done. So just know that that's how I roll. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Please go out. Remember to like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things that help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't fuck with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Start a journey. 
not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.